Well, over the last three weeks, we've been looking to uh, answer this very question, where is God? And uh, hopefully you'll remember the point of this series, if you've been around, is to remind all of us that what we experience sometimes with our frustrations with God, our unanswered prayers at times, sometimes our feelings that God isn't paying attention. What I've been seeing is that all of these feelings, all of these experiences are common and that we don't have to lose faith over it all. And so, just to start things off today, I want to begin with a question that I think probably all have asked. If you're a Christian, you've asked it. If you're from some other kind of religious background, you've asked this question. If you're not quite sure who God is, maybe he's a force or something, you've asked it. And the question's this. Why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something about that? Now, the interesting thing about that is that you don't have to think particularly hard to come up with a that. Some of you right now are sitting next to that. For some of you, (laughs) that is back home. Some of you, moving swiftly on, you work for that. Some of you work with that. Maybe you live next door to that. And then there's the slightly more serious stuff. There's illness, there's pain, there's suffering that we walk through at times. Also things going on around the world, and you can read about them or see pictures on the television screens, and you're like, God, why don't you do something about that? Now, if you've ever asked a question similar to this, whether it's out loud or you've just kind of thought it in your mind, God, why don't you do something about that? I want you right now to raise your hand and then have a good look round, because what you'll see is most people in the room have asked that question. Now, this is important because if we stopped right there, this is a big lesson for us, because a lot of the time we can think It's just us. But as we've been seeing over the last three weeks, we're not alone in this. A lot of us, most of us, all of us have thought these things, experienced these things, gone through these things, wrestled with these questions. And so, because this is such a big deal for a lot of us, I want to try and help you see how you can maintain faith even through those times when you don't understand Now, what we're going to see today is absolutely amazing. You see, Jesus was so concerned about giving us an answer to this question that he decided on an occasion not to merely teach on the subject. He actually created a that that some people would come up to and ask, Jesus, why don't you do something about that? And then Jesus didn't do anything about that so that we would know how to respond when God doesn't respond to all of those that's in our lives today. Do you follow all of that? (laughs) Basically, Jesus created his own living illustration so he could dip right into it in order to explain to us that you can continue to have faith even through the times when you're looking around desperately, wondering why God doesn't do something about that. The story is found in John's Gospel, 
and chapter 11, if you want to follow along. If you haven't got a Bible, no worries, the words will appear on the screen behind me. But if you have got a Bible, if you're turning to it now, when you get to the passage, John 11, I'm going to ask you to try and ignore the heading to the passage. Just try to pretend you've never heard this story before, because if you've grown up in a kind of church environment, or if you've been around for a little while, this is such a familiar story that when I even read the first line to you, you probably already know the end of the story. But the people who lived this story, the people in the midst of this story, certainly didn't know how it was going to end. Let's start reading in verse 1. Just to say, uh, this isn't a kind of perfectly crafted talk with three clear headings. Pretty much for the, the, the rest of our time today, we're going to walk through this passage slowly. And every few verses, we're just going to pause. I'm going to make a few comments to help you understand what's going on. Uh, and then we'll keep walking through the passage. Verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany in Judea the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, back in the first century, when people read that verse, they went, oh, that Mary, because everyone knew the story about her pouring perfume on Jesus. So that helped people get which Mary John was talking about, because back then there were lots of Marys. They wouldn't have known which one. That little detail helped them grasp, okay, that's the Mary we're talking about here. The story continues. Verse 3. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. Just to explain, Jesus is about a day and a half's walk away from them at this point. He's not that far away from them. The sisters sent word to Jesus, this is what they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, how would you like to be known as the one Jesus loved? They didn't even need to use his name, they just said, Jesus, the one you love is unwell. And and Jesus went, and everyone else went, oh, we, we know who you're talking about then. Mary Martha sent this message to Jesus because they'd seen Jesus heal complete strangers. They'd watched as Jesus stood in that kind of blazing sunshine, crowds of people all queued up, wanting miracles, healing them all. Healed, 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 healed. Everyone healed. And now the one he really loved is sick. So Mary and Martha, they, they kind of figured Jesus would want to do something about this. I mean, Lazarus is the one he really loved. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, this might be the most important thing you hear today. Don't want you to miss this. Jesus here is creating a brand new category for some of us. Can sickness really be for God's glory? Jesus says yes, but 
But I always thought sickness was a bad thing. Jesus says, this sickness is actually for God's glory. So that, here's the purpose, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. It being the sickness. Jesus is saying, this is a brand new way of thinking about that. I'm giving you some light in the midst of your darkness. I'm trying to give you some hope where you just don't think there's any hope. Even through those darkest times, I'm looking to get glory through it. Now let's be honest. This challenges us because a lot of the time that's not exactly where we live. I mean, everything in our culture goes a very different way to this. It's all about me and my glory. I'm the point. It's all about me. I deserve this. What, why shouldn't I have that? I'm entitled to this. It's a message we're constantly being told. Pretty much every marketing campaign is built around this general philosophy. It's all about you. You deserve it. Why don't you have it? We should make way for you. What do you desire? What do you crave? Get it. Have it. What do you want? You're the point. And I want to lovingly tell you that you are not the point. It can feel like you are when you're going through tough times, when you're you're battling sickness and bereavement and loneliness and debt and depression. But through it all, there is something way, way bigger than you and the situation you're facing. It's God and his glory. That's what lies behind Lazarus's sickness here. And I believe that's the backdrop to the trials that we face as well. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then John, who's writing this account, realises that the story is about to take a pretty crazy turn. And so before he tells us the detail of what happens next, he gives us a little bit of commentary, a little bit of explanation. Verse 5, he tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why is John telling us that? I think it's because you're not going to believe what happens next. In fact, based on what happens next, you're going to think that Jesus doesn't love Lazarus. He doesn't love Mary. He doesn't love Martha. So before I tell you what happens next, just got to let you know, Jesus didn't just know them. He didn't just like them. He wasn't just mildly fond of them. He loved them. Verse 6. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Yeah, but John, you just told us that Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus. Surely, when he finds out that Lazarus is sick, he's going to drop everything and rush to his side. I mean, if Jesus loved us, 
That's what we'd expect him to do for us. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, now let's go back to Judea, which is where Bethany, the village where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived, was. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Implication, Jesus, when they tried to stone you, sometimes they missed and inadvertently hit us. So, are you really sure you want to head back to Judea? Because, look, the Jews will be lying in wait for us. In other words, they weren't actually so concerned about Jesus. They were trying to save their own skins. Jesus answered, verse 9, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Can't imagine the disciples going, huh? Weren't we just talking about Judea? 12 hours of daylight, where did that come from? It's like Jesus uses this moment to give them some teaching. And John's there, I guess, just kind of writing it all down, kind of scratching his head as well, thinking, I don't know what this is all about. Maybe one day it'll make sense. Maybe it's important someday. I'm just going to record it all. Jesus says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. So imagine the disciples standing there saying, Jesus, that doesn't make it a whole lot clearer. But what Jesus is talking about is opportunity. That for half the day, while the sun is out, you have opportunity to do stuff you can't do during the night. And Jesus is saying, guys, you can stay here if you want to, but eventually the time is coming where I'm going to leave this earth. And when I leave, it's going to feel as though a light is going out. So you need to learn all you can from me while I'm around. And if you will follow me to Judea, I'm about to give you, if you like, a candle that you'll carry with you the rest of your life. Because I'm about to introduce you to something that you won't get to learn any other way. And it will cast light on so many different situations you're going to face. So while you have the opportunity, look, when you get up, and follow me to Judea. And I know you're afraid, but if you stay here, you're going to miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Because I'm about to give you some light, some revelation, an experience that's going to serve you the rest of your life. So come on, let's go to Judea. After he said this, verse 11, he went on to tell them, look, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. It's like they're trying to give him medical advice, a bit like we do to him sometimes. Look, Jesus, this is the situation. This is what I need. Uh, This is how it will work out. Would you do this? They're trying to give him advice. But all the time, verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there. Wait a minute. You knew he was going to die? 
you let Mary and Martha nurse their brother until he died, and you knew he was going to die, and you didn't go to them on purpose, and you're glad we weren't there to save the one you loved? Jesus says, yeah. Okay, Jesus, I, I know you're into kind of big illustrations at times, but what could be so important for us to learn that you would allow the one you love to die? Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But now let's go to him. In other words, as hard as it is for us to get our minds around this, there's something so valuable for the disciples to learn that Jesus allowed his close friend to die. Jesus created a that so that we would get a glimpse into understanding what God is doing when he doesn't do that thing that we want him to do today. Verse 16. Then Thomas, I went aside, a very big aside really, but I don't know if I've got any people who've kind of fans of Winnie the Pooh. I guess you're kind of familiar with the character Eeyore. Um, kind of, it, it was always very negative, very pessimistic. Uh, whatever happens, it's all going to be bad. Well, that's Thomas. Thomas is the inspiration for Eeyore. I mean, look at this. Verse 16, then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. The Jews are going to stone Jesus. We might as well go with him, be stoned as well. That way we can all die together. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now again, just got to pause here and understand something of the drama of this moment. Because back in Bethany, Lazarus has been dying without morphine. He's been dying without any drugs to ease the pain. And Mary and Martha this whole time, I guess, are kneeling by his side, mopping his brow, saying, Lazarus, don't worry. Lazarus, try and hang on in there. Lazarus, we've sent for Jesus. It, it won't be much longer before he arrives. Then everything will be fine. Lazarus, we have absolute faith. He'll come to us. Everything will be okay. Just try and hang on in there. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And I guess the whole community waited with them, watching to see what would happen. And then Lazarus died. And still there was no sign of Jesus. And still they're waiting for him. And eventually, the people in charge of burials, they come and say, look, I just feel a bit awkward about this, but actually, it's been a while now. We've got to take the body away and prepare it for burial. And Mary and Martha are saying, just, can we wait a bit longer? 
We sent a message to Jesus. We know he got it. He'll be here soon. Just hang on until he comes. But Jesus didn't come. So they stood back and watched as Lazarus, their brother, was wrapped in cloths. Just much like Jesus would be not long after this. It's placed in a tomb. Stone rolled in front of the tomb. And then they began to mourn. And all the time, no sign of Jesus. Isn't that where we live sometimes? Isn't that the place where we begin to question whether God has forgotten us? I mean, if he really loved me, surely he'd have done something about that. And yet here was Lazarus, dearly loved by Jesus. Jesus could have come to him, but for whatever reason chose not to. And he dies. And Jesus created this moment for us. He created this moment so that we'd be able to have perspective. So we'd better carry hope into our futures. On his arrival, verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this detail is actually quite important because back then they believed that the person's spirit hovered over a dead body for three days and then the spirit would leave. It's like that was the point where all hope was gone and Jesus stayed away until there was no hope even for the superstitious members of the community. When he arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. You imagine how embarrassing all of this was for the disciples kind of following after Jesus. They had to follow Jesus into the town with everyone in the midst of their mourning, turning around and staring at them. Arriving so late was like the ultimate insult. He didn't rescue the one he loved. Didn't even come to the funeral. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days and now he has the nerve to set foot in this town. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Let me ask you something. Why do you think Mary stayed at home? Why didn't she go out to greet Jesus? I've got to admit, I'm speculating here. But my guess is she was pretty angry with him. I mean, Jesus, you could have, you should have. If I was you, I would have, but you didn't. Well, we gave you every opportunity. It's like you love complete strangers more than you love us. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, this is your fault. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, look, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He's speaking here of the eternal life that he gives to all who believe in him. For those who believe in Jesus, death isn't the end. It's merely a doorway into eternal life. And then Jesus asked the question, I believe he'd ask us today as well. He asked a question that will mean different things to different ones of us at different stages of our life. He asked a question that gets a little harder to answer the older you get. As you go through the most difficult periods of your life, as you watch other people around you suffer, as you bury people you loved, Jesus looks Martha in the eye and asks her, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Having been through all of that and known that I could have stepped in and helped, do you still trust me? Do you still believe that I am who you thought I was, even though I haven't acted how you thought I should have acted? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. That The teacher's here, she said. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus hadn't yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and rushed out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. But when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then John records something for us that is astounding. John records something for us that shows us that when we're going through tough times, and even though God could have, would have, or should have, for whatever reason, he's chosen not to do anything about it, and it, it's not because he's distant, it's not because he doesn't love us. John records something for us here that shows us that God has the ability to enter into your pain even when he chooses not to do anything about your pain. Jesus knew exactly how this story would end. But I think for your sake and for my sake, John tells us that Jesus wept. 
It's as though he's saying, although I'm God, I'm not too big to understand. I'm not too big to feel. When you suffer and when you hurt and when you can't understand and when you feel as though he has surely abandoned you, it's almost as though he leans right into the situation and says to you, I know, I understand, I feel it too. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, I mean, couldn't he open the eyes of the blind man? The one who opened the eyes of the blind man have, have kept this man from dying? I mean, why didn't he do something about that? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. There's a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Seriously, so, so Jesus... All this time, this whole thing was really all about you. Uh, This whole thing, the whole time, is about your glory. Uh, This whole thing is about whether we would keep believing even through the hard times. It's about whether we would still keep trusting you when that thing that we think should be changed isn't changed. In other words, you let your friend die so that we would learn about your glory. Jesus says, didn't I tell you, if you kept your eyes open, if you followed me, if you continued to trust me, if you continued to believe, if you continued to live your life as though I am who I say I am, you would catch a glimpse of my glory even in the midst of your most difficult time. So verse 41, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus, you're telling us that it was worth all of this drama and this pain and this emotion in order for people to understand your connection with God and for people to learn something about God's glory, Jesus would say, yeah, it was worth it. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out. Read that again. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, just by way of an aside, why do you think Jesus would have to ask people to step forward to remove the grave clothes? I think it was probably because no one was rushing to make a move towards Lazarus. 
They're kind of standing there at a distance, kind of going, and Jesus says, he's alive. Therefore, and this is something of an understatement, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. I bet they did. I bet the whole town put their faith in Jesus. I bet the message spread like wildfire that if Jesus could raise the dead, then surely there's absolutely nothing he can't do. So here's the question. Why doesn't he do something about that? That thing that you're struggling with. That thing that you're facing right now. Why doesn't he do something about that? And the answer is that sometimes we just don't know. But here's what we do know. Here's what we learn from this story. We know that he can. I mean, don't miss the miracle here. If Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead, he can heal. He can deliver. He can restore. He can provide. He can do anything. We know he can. We also know that sometimes he waits. We also know that we can trust him in the meantime. Why doesn't God do something about that? I don't know, but I know that he can. I know that sometimes he waits. And I do know I can trust him in the meantime. And I know that I can trust him in the meantime because he's made this promise. If you believe in some way through this situation, you will see God glorified. If you believe, if you continue to trust, if you continue to maintain hope, if you continue to maintain focus, even in the midst of the worst of the worst, in the midst of a that which you have no explanation for, in some way, God will receive glory. Now that takes faith. And personally, I know it is really tough at times. But I know that God's willing. I know that God is able to leverage even that for his glory if I continue to trust in him. Now look, I know that this isn't emotionally satisfying. But it's the thing that God has given us to hang on to in the dark times. It's like the candle that he handed the disciples because he knew there'd be a time not long after this when they'd watch him be arrested. They'd watch him be tried. They'd watch him be crucified on a cross. And for them, there'd seemingly be no hope. And yet they'd remember back that, you know what? We don't know why God would allow that. But we know that he could do something about that. We know that sometimes he waits. We know that if we believe in the meantime, he will show his glory in some way. And that's been the message of the church ever since. And if you continue to believe, and if you continue to trust you will get to experience something of the glory of God even in the midst of that thing that you are absolutely convinced God should do something about. 
So as we draw to a close, let's recap what we've been seeing over the last three weeks. I guess one other thing else, we've been seeing that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that everything suddenly starts working out your way. The good news of the gospel is that God's enough. He is enough for you, regardless of your circumstance. You get Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And really, more than anything else, this series has been one prolonged invitation to you to pursue Jesus and be satisfied with him even in the midst of the darkest times. And if you get that, and if you get Jesus, and if you experience Jesus, even in the midst of the worst this world can throw at you, that will be enough. I mean, it feels as though God's silent, just like with John the Baptist, as we saw a few weeks back. But those times you need to look outside of your circumstances, at the things he's doing around you. Remember what he's done in your past. Remember what he's promised for your future. When it feels as though God doesn't act, like we saw last time with the Apostle Paul, you you need to lean into God's grace at those times because his grace is sufficient for you, even in those circumstances that never change. And when it feels like God has forgotten you, You look for his glory. Because if you believe, if you continue to trust, if you hang on in faith, you will eventually see the glory of God. If not in this life, certainly in the life to come. I want us to respond and ask Mark to come and lead us with a song. And the song I want us to sing is maybe the hardest one to sing when we're facing difficulty and struggle and pain and disappointment. But I want us to end this series by saying together, singing together, God, whatever I face, God, whatever I go through, I am going to look to you. I am going to trust you. I do want to praise you even through the hard times. That's how I want us to close this series. And then on the back of this song, we're going to lead into a ministry time. And we've seen how Jesus can raise the dead. And I guess there are no dead people here today, but there are people who may feel almost dead in terms of the pain and the things you're facing. And we're going to ask Jesus to come amongst us and work some miracles here today. And if he doesn't, he's still to be praised We still want him to get glory in our situation, but he can. And we're going to ask him in a moment if he will.